Prepare the way of the Lord. So that track from Gospel. Highways actually made quite an appearance in the Old Testament in one way or another. And it was very evident that making a way between one city and another was no easy thing. Um, last year we were fortunate, Ruth and I, um, to have a trip down the Nile to see ancient places. But we also travelled across land between the Nile and between the Red Sea through part of the desert area. And I'd had this foolish idea that it was lots of sort of sand dunes and sort of billowy things like this. Actually, it's more like sort of um, collections of, um, of loose, loosely formed chunks of rock which will break up quite easily when you hit them. So it's sort of just sort of glued together. But nevertheless, to make a way between A and B, you have to excavate this lot out of the way. And the Egyptian road that we followed had clearly been dug out of the desert. They'd had to prepare the way to get there. And of course, significantly, if there was an important uh, person to come somewhere, um, uh, the local civil engineering department in Babylon or in Assyria or in Syria or wherever it was, or even in Jerusalem, would have to get out and clear the way to make a decent road so that the important person could come down it. It was a well-known sort of um, aspect. But here were the Jewish people starting really from that reading that we had from the Old Testament from Isaiah chapter 40. They're in exile. They've been beaten. They've been taken away. They're just, they will be despondent. They've lost their temple. They've lost everything that was important to them. Where do they go from there? But you know, God had even prophesied before they were taken into Israel that there would be a way it made for them to come back. In the wonderful words actually earlier in Isaiah in Isaiah 35 so before the exile Isaiah writes and a highway shall be there and it will be called the holy way the way of holiness and the unclean shall not travel on it but it shall be for God's people and no traveller not even fools shall go astray I do like that bit it's really rather encouraging even the fools can't go astray on the way of holiness that God intends for his people. Well, here were all these people in exile in Babylon, and Isaiah is uh, this prophecy that we've had uh, at this point. What do you make of all of that? Well, they're going to ask some questions. Well, when's it going to happen? How is it going to happen that we're going to be brought back? What's it going to cost me? in terms of personal sacrifice. And then finally, at the end of it, actually, do I want to go? Because significantly, there were a significant number of the Jews who were exiled in Babylon who never came back, some through choice, possibly some through circumstance, because that was the start of the big Jewish diaspora of Jewish people scattered really all around the Middle East at that time. But more than that, in all this return, God gives through Isaiah a pretty radical set of instructions. And he says to them, well, do not remember the former things or consider the things of old, for I'm about to do a new thing. Look, it's springing forth. 
How would you tell the Jewish people don't remember the former things when in fact at the, the, most, the two most significant things for the Jewish nation in their scriptures is first of all the creation, that God is the creator of all, and secondly the exodus, that God has rescued them out of Egypt into the promised land. But what God is saying here is don't think God's going to do the same thing again. Don't remember the former things. Don't think that this is actually a second exodus. It's not. It's going to be somewhat different because I'm going to do a new thing. I will blot out your sins, he says. It's a wonderful image of taking a sort of a, a, an ink container and just pouring it over the record of all the sins. It's gone. Nobody can read it. You don't have to worry about whether you're good enough. You don't have to worry about what you've done in the past. I'm going to do a new thing for you. Look up. And that whole part of the, uh, what we call the second Isaiah to start with from chapter 40 onwards, there's this wonderful bit re-rehearsing the God of creation, that God has made all this universe and holds it in his hand and will sustain it. Lift up your heads, look to the future, even though you don't know quite what it is. So we then go into Jesus' time and to John the Baptist, which is actually, John is the focus of the set of readings for this Sunday. And we find that John is out there in a community where clearly something had to happen. They didn't like having the Romans in charge big time. They'd had a few goes at revolts in the past against other sort of uh, um, uh, uh, occupying groups and it had always failed. The Romans appeared much better organized than anybody else. It wasn't just the next door neighbors who'd come in and take them over. They'd taken over, as far as they knew, the whole world. How do we get rid of the Romans? But also, how do we get, how do we, what do we do about the temple? Oh yes, we know what God, in, or we think we know what God intended it for, but there's corruption left, right and center. If you're poor, you just about can't fulfill any of the, the commands that you were told you had to, had to do, at least not without paying a fair amount of money, which you hadn't got. It almost seemed as if the way the temple was set up and the, and the way in which the Jewish faith was practiced was designed to keep the poor, the humble, and the lowly out of it. And then John comes along. John the Baptist, with a baptism of repentance which clearly had touched the national nerve at the time, and the crowds flocked to him. Because repentance and because baptism was the way in which somebody became a Jew. You could see it could be offensive to a lot, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees certainly found it offensive. This man saying we've all got to be as if we're Gentiles and become become Jews again. But you know. We are children of Abraham. We've been here forever and ever. We don't need all this. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to see what was going on in John's baptism. And what John was actually doing, in a sense, was for the, for the Jewish people, was pressing the reset button. Let's get back to what it should be. 
But he said, I don't know what it should be. I don't know what's coming other than what's coming is so much better than me, I'm not even worth it to tie shoelaces up. And those people who followed John were prepared to sign up to a future, if you like, to the royal highway that they knew where it was going to. It was going to be with the Lord, but they didn't know the timing or the route that would be taken. When John's disciples came to Jesus when he was teaching to tell him about John being in prison, Jesus turned to them and said, you, lot, you, you were all out there, you went to John's baptism, what did you go out to see? You can almost imagine him saying, come on then, I'm not going to stop until I get an answer from you. What did you go out to see? Well, well it's a nice bit of the environment. We, we needed a day out, so we thought we'd go. Oh, you went out to see the reeds shaking in the wind. You went out for a nice day out into the wilderness where it was hot and it was dusty. Um, and actually nobody would go out of their own free will unless they had to travel. Come on, sort of, you can do better than that. What did you go out to see? Well, we'd, we'd heard this man was important and uh, was fine and uh, um, had wonderful clothes and things to wear. And he almost imagined Jesus saying, My cousin John, wonderful clothes. Royal robes are found in palaces. You wouldn't wear what my cousin John wears. You'd find it dirty, disgusting and uncomfortable. You didn't go out for a fashion show in the wilderness. Try again. Then eventually somebody says, well, uh, I don't think I'm meant to say this, but you know, we thought maybe he was a prophet. Yes, bingo! She says, you've got it! And what do you do when you hear what a prophet says to you? I just like drawing teeth from the crowd, this thing. You do what he says and you follow it. Something is going to happen. Press the reset button. See what happens next. Now, of course, the first time this happened in the exile, yeah, they got something quite wonderful out of it. What happened next? They got a new temple. They got it rebuilt. They got the temple worship established as it should be. Um, they'd got the book of the law discovered. Actually, it was probably been written during the exile, but it was actually quite convenient to discover it at that time because that got it really firmly rooted in the rebuilding of the temple. So the books we know as, um, as the five book, first five books of the Old Testament, they'd got them. Then they got the writings of the prophets, first of all, the major prophets, and of course Isaiah himself was one of those. And bit by bit they got other what we'd know as the minor prophets, those books would join them. They actually had a religious book, the Jewish scriptures. They had the temple. They had the worship. You'd have thought they had everything they needed, except they didn't keep the law. And so in John the Baptist's time, he says, right, press the reset button again. And what did they get? Well, they got a faith that was open to all, that seriously upset the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
that these people who've been baptised with John's baptism expected something of God. How dare they expect? They don't know anything. They can't read the scriptures. They don't know all the interpretations. How do they expect something? Because we have accepted God's offer to do a new thing among us, and we're waiting to see it. But that new thing also involved the destruction of Jeru the temple, the fall of Jerusalem, and the finish of all that was wonderful the first time round. But they were going to the future. They were going on the royal highway where even fools were allowed, where no harm could come to them. And the coming of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of Jesus, the resurrection, his glorious resurrection, all that was part of the journey that was to come for them. And so we come to ourselves here, because we read these readings as part of the lectionary. Um, and it's not a history lesson, but it's not a lesson in ancient philosophy or anything like that. It's what does it mean to us today? How do we build up that way of holiness, that royal way, that actually leads, of course, to the kingdom of God? doesn't lead to something in the immediate here and, and now, but it's not at its final destination. There are places on the way as we go there. And how are we going to look for the new thing that God might be doing among us, which is even more appropriate for us? Is the new thing going to be a new vicar? Or is it? Well, we don't know. These decisions actually sometimes are not part, we're part of it, but we're not the sum total of it. It probably will, but we don't know. What's going to happen when finally we get past all the things we can't do during COVID? Is our vision going to be simply, well, we want to get back to the former things? Because that's what God said, well, you don't want to do. Don't remember all the former things. It's not just... We want to get back to having Christmas as we always did it. We want to get back to having these things as we always did it. One of the crippling things, and it's not just in the church about human beings, is we always think that the way it was done before was best and therefore it should be the way we do it in the future. Um, some of you will have heard of the, uh, the Christian author and founder of schools and goodness knows what Steve Chalk and he was very involved in various things with central government of working out what happens in the future and has pointed out that actually the, that voluntary societies churches like us are now doing things that we used to do before the welfare state kicked in a long time ago so in the early part of the 20th century but he said, don't think we're going back to that same situation. We're not. Yes, we are now providing things that we may think ought to be the duty of the state, but God is doing a new thing with us. How is it going to work out? And so what are the new things that are going to happen for us? Where is our vision? Our hope must be in the God who has created all things, and in particular in the Christian faith, and knowing that actually 
there is a kingdom yet to come as well as a kingdom here on earth. There is a promise held out for us. There is a salvation kept for us with God. We know where the final destination is, but we can't, we can't get there immediately. And there are things that will happen on the way. So are we able to walk in that holy walk of expectation? We ask the same questions as the Jews in the exile would have asked. When is it going to happen for us? How? And what's it going to cost us to do there? And to the church in the 21st century, just as the Jews in Babylon had to ask themselves, do we actually want to go there? So let us commit ourselves to a journey on that way of holiness where even fools are safe. Well, I'm happy to sign up to that one. Amen.